This is the Wealthy Retailer Podcast with your host, Dan Holman. Every episode, Dan talks with a variety of retail experts, owners, managers, and so much more, sharing their expertise, their experiences, and the retail topics that matter to you, the independent retailer. The Wealthy Retailer Podcast is brought to you by Canadian Retail Solutions. Learn more at retailbycrs.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Wealthy Retailer Podcast. Glad you can join us again today. Uh, my guest this week is Joe Valley with Quiet Light Brokerage. And after building, buying, and selling a half a dozen of his own companies, Joe helped build one of the leading online-focused mergers and acquisition advisory firms in the world. Now, after facilitating nearly a half a billion in exits, Joe has written a best-selling book called The Exitpreneur's playbook to help online business owners get maximum value and the best deal structure when they seek their own incredible exit. Over the last nine years, Joe has mentored thousands of online entrepreneurs whose goal is to achieve their own eventual exit. He's a certified uh, mergers and acquisitions professional and a frequent guest in mastermind groups, podcasts, um, and events for entrepreneurs worldwide. Joe's book, The Exitpreneur's Playbook, How to Sell Your Online Business for Top Dollar, uh, will be available in this week's podcast uh, right up. If you're not a member of the Canadian Retail Solutions uh, weekly e-blast or newsletter platform, subscribe there and you'll get yourself a copy of The Exitpreneur's Playbook uh, the digital version of the Exitpreneur's Playbook. Joe, um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me, Dan. Yeah. It's a pleasure. So, exit. Let's let's before we jump into the meat and, and potatoes of exiting a business, talk a little bit about you know your path to get to this place where you're helping other entrepreneurs exit their business. Yeah, man, I, I've been self-employed since 1997. So I've been around a while doing it. You and I got some gray on the chin. So you know what mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Um, my first venture, I mean, if we don't count all the things I did as a kid and in right. college and all that stuff, the, the book talks about something I did in college. It's kind of fun. Um, but my first uh, post-college full entrepreneurial venture was uh, I owned a media buying agency. Uh, so I was buying media on radio. So I was constantly in, uh, negotiating the temperaments, the tempers, the childlike tantrums that my client had with the call center. So I was always in between all of these transactions. And these guys were spending $100,000 a week on advertising. And generally that was one client. I usually had three or four at a time. It's a funny thing. Um, I didn't understand how important that role was and how good I was at it until I left it and eventually worked my way back into it. You know, 12 months into launching that media agency in 97, actually less than that, six months in, I, I launched my own product as well. Somebody showed up in my office from a previous uh, company that I worked at, started a uh, call center and said, we should do this. And he brought somebody with the product development and the advertising stuff, creativity. So I launched my first product. We took that to radio, TV, uh, didn't do online because it wasn't much online back then. Right. Next one, same thing, radio, TV, 100% online in 2002. All the while, I'm still buying time for clients. In 2005, I uh, got rid of all the clients on the media buying side and focused 100% online with that last product. And I built it up over through the best of and the worst of the economy, right? 05 to 08. And then yeah. 08 to 10. Oh, my goodness. That was hard. <laughs> 
I came out the other side, tired, worn out, exhausted, and business was still doing well. I was working 20 hours a week, living on a, a lake here in North Carolina and had a good life, but I am a typical entrepreneur and I got shiny object syndrome and I decided to sell. I didn't do any planning. I didn't uh, understand the process, the taxes, what would make the business more valuable, all of that. I just woke up and decided to sell. Fortunately though, um, one of the three M&A firms that I spoke to uh, gave me some advice, which was basically to wait another six to nine months. The first two wanted to sign an engagement letter. Uh, the third one was like, if you wait another six to nine months, you're going to make a lot more money because the business is finally coming back after the, right. the, the, the great uh, financial crisis. And that's what I did. It was Quiet Light. It was my now business partner, Mark Dowst at Quiet Light. And uh, I sold the company in late 2010, joined, I took a year off and then joined Quiet Light in 2012. And it's been a crazy ride ever since. Uh, just since 2017, we've grown an average of 55% uh, year over year. Uh, and last year in 2021, it was a, a killer year, as you know, for mm -hmm. all things M&A, and we grew 85%. Yeah. Well, and are you seeing 2022, the first half of 2022, uh, on the same trajectory as last year? No, it's, no. It's, looking, it's looking slower, right? And it's terrible. We're only going to grow about 25%. Um, it's Shucks. terrible. Yeah, I'm, I'm being facetious. It's 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 more of a struggle, though. Uh, mm -hmm. There are there are times when the market or the people, buyers and sellers, just go, "Oh crap! I I, I have to hold on a minute." Uh, one of those times was when Thrasio, uh, the news broke that they were laying off fifty percent of their people. Their lenders behind them are lenders behind other you know, aggregators uh, of uh, FBA businesses, which is only about 30% of our transactions to aggregators, but everybody paused their, their buying. So a few deals fell apart. So April was like, eh, okay. Um, but overall, 25% is what we're looking at year over yep. year growth this year. So it slowed a little bit and everybody's nervous about what's, 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 what's going to happen over the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah. I mean, I certainly, uh, you know, in this independent retail world, we're, we're, we're as we look forward at business and, and making buys for, you know, here we are in May or June today, looking at buying, you know, inventory for November sales and going to buy in the next month or so for next spring, there is a certain, uh, a certain, trepidation i'll call it you know looking at this you know the panic that's being created with the with a pending recession and i think i said this to somebody this morning I, I think one in three of us don't know how to properly define recession we hear the word and panic you know run scared and hey if it's know. if it's a a typical recession that we've had over the last hundred years we're fine right. 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 It's we've we've only lived through the great financial crisis and the dot com bubble. Right. So the, the ones that we've lived through have been the ab, or at least as adults have been the absolute worst. That's right. what we think is going to happen. Uh, odds are it's not going to happen that way. It's funny. I was reading. I read two articles uh, back to back this weekend and I'm just flipping through my the news on my phone. And the first was from Jamie Dimon, CEO of uh, Goldman Sachs, I think. And it was total hurricane doomsday. Things are going to really be awful. I'm like, okay, that was not very uh, uplifting. I scroll right. a few more, I'm like, oh, this guy says that everything's going to be okay. He worked at the same company, <laughs> right? He's not the CEO, but he's like a major st strategic advisor in the company. Yeah. Completely different picture. Like, oh, who the hell? I mean, right. I guess it all depends upon who they're talking to at the moment, I guess. It does. And I think, you know, we are, 
we are influenced by mass messaging that that isn't necessarily geographic geographically sound i mean yeah. we have always had pockets that are recession proof whether it's you know pockets of the of the united states that that don't suffer as much as you know what the east coast does the west coast stays strong and so on and certainly we see the same thing in canada our resort communities are um are are typically somewhat recession proof you know we don't have the same you know, big peaks and valleys that, you know, other parts of the country are going to have. So, yeah. You know, if you look back to when the pandemic first started, everybody thought the possible, the worst possible thing. And actually the market dropped quite a bit, but it's been it, uh, all the horrible deaths aside for business, for e-commerce in general, right. it's been fantastic, right? My dad's right. 85. He shops online now. That didn't happen pre-pandemic. Right. So there's there's positive that comes out of it. And there may be positives that come out of the pandemic as well. Maybe a great buying opportunity for acquisition entrepreneurs, because those that are just barely cash flow positive, just, you know, just staying afloat may have harder struggles, right? Like they haven't had enough already with supply chain issues. Um, and, and they may just throw their hands up and say, I'm done. Emotionally toast. I can't do it. I'll sell for less. Just get me out. Right. And those that can hang on will be competing against fewer people. And those that can buy will be able to buy at a discount. And, you know, in a couple of years, things will be looking solid again. Hopefully. Do you think, not hopefully, I, I, I believe that. I don't know that hope. I mean, it's, it's, it'll be strategic movement. It's not hope. Hope's not a strategy. That we'll, we'll plan appropriately the way that we see that markets are going. And depending on the vertical that you're in or the business that you're in, you know, there's always room to evolve, even if you're forcing that evolution. Um, there are I, I, trillions I of dollars to be spent in consumer. I mean, consumer spending isn't going to take a huge hit, I don't believe, you know overall we're we're gonna come out of this just fine having come through the last two years we this is nothing this is nothing <laughs> this is nothing and as i said i mean one in three of us can't properly define recession anyways we go off of what we see and read in the news and then act accordingly mm -hmm. um we we have learned something in the last two years that we didn't know in the last recession and that's how important we are in this process you know it's funny that we look back over the last two years and have seen people revalue themselves ahead of everything else in how they how they deliver work-life balance has changed you know how they support their own needs has changed how they you know we don't wait as long as we maybe once did for something today yeah, I totally agree. I think it's really important that we all do that, right. um, especially, you know, if you've been around doing this for a while, you appreciate um, time, mm. sometimes a little bit more than money. Time gives you money uh, or money, money gives you time as well. Um, but focusing in on the events in life that are really important, not constantly grinding it out, you know, trying to trying to make make money. Right. And that, you know, as far as exits go, you actually make more money when you exit in most cases than you do when you're actually operating the business. So right. um, it, this may be a great opportunity as well. Right. And so let's talk about what, what that timing looks like today. So you know, maybe we're seeing a softer year for resale or for selling my business than past, but there's still good opportunity today to sell a business. And in your world, are you focused only on 
e-commerce stores or e-commerce businesses, or do you see a blend of brick and mortar and e-commerce? It's a hundred percent online. If yeah. you've got a brick and mortar store, you should definitely go with a brick and mortar broker that knows your geographic area. Better. Right. But we, you know, e-commerce, it's electronic con commerce. That's how it's defined. But most people refer to e-commerce with somebody selling a physical brand. Mm -hmm. it, you know, we, we do e-commerce content sites, SaaS businesses, and, and the occasional service business as well. But none of them that have a brick and mortar presence. Right. For the most part, if somebody's got a brick and mortar, we sold a retours, retail, uh, a, a jewelry store recently. 98% of it was online. 2% right. was in the store where they really just shipped inventory from. The parents passed away. The kids wanted to sell it. And we just discounted the, the revenue that came from the actual brick and mortar from store. From B&M store. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. I mean, I think most of us that are in this, you know, selling e-com have a small, I mean, even if we're, if we're an online only, we're still opening up our brick and mortar, whether it's our warehouse, you know, for liquidation, or there is some version of, of revenue that walks through our front or back door that is not electronically driven. And so I like that idea that you just, you're discounting for that yeah. two or three or five percent that's done in a brick and mortar store. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We've got lots of folks that do the same thing. They, you know, people hear about them and see where the address is and mm -hmm. find their fulfillment center and go right. knocking on some metal door in a big metal building and say, I want to buy something. Uh, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so in that, in that, sort of online world in the e-commerce world does a solopreneur the guy that's in the back you know receiving goods and packing packing shipments to leave does he have the same um opportunity in selling the business as an absentee owner might have i mean an owner that's not directly connected to the day-to-day -day operation yeah absolutely there's you know the only difference is you know a buyer that wants to do that work or a buyer that doesn't want to do the work. It's nice. Right. You know, if I'm buying a business from somebody that's absentee and I don't want to be involved in the day to day working 30 or 40 hours a week, then everybody's in place. It's done. Mm -hmm. As long as somebody can, somebody in that business is still uh, the general manager, so to speak, right? right. That person. Right. And that person would report to me. Uh, the solopreneurs though, most, most businesses like our, our, Average transaction size was just about $2 million in the last 12 months, right? And that type of business, for the most case, is owner-operated, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Even the ones, you know, the, the largest last year was $25 million. That was owner-operated as well. You just had a larger team. The team needs to transfer right. with the sale, right? Um, in, in most cases, in, in, in a few minor cases, it, it's they don't need to transfer if the, the buying uh, party has a team that can do the same thing. And, and an operate, yeah, an operational team in place already. Right. Okay. So we're all familiar with, um, you know, the bad word that valuations can sometimes be anybody that's ever watching, you know, Shark Tank or here in Canada, Dragon's Den, you know, we know that valuation is always going to be a challenge. Where does somebody really start to think about, you know, what is the value of my e-com business today? They start by getting a professional valuation. Yeah. Because if you're thinking about it, you should just get. You should just get it. Get it done. It's free. We've been doing it since 2007, and we do it to build relationships, just like I did with Mark. No mm. pressure. He told me to go away. Basically, I was like, I love this guy. He told me to go away. I'm definitely going to work <laughs> with him when I go to sell my business. So right. the model works, uh, and we've been doing it for a long time. 
uh, and everybody on the team is a, an entrepreneur. We've all built, bought, or sold our own online businesses. So we've been in everybody's shoes, so to speak. But it, it definitely starts with, first, I would say, what do you want to sell your business for? So you set a goal. I want to sell my business for $5 million right. in the year 2025. Uh, and what, and then, and then add some feeling to it. And when I sell my business, I will feel unburdened uh, because I'll be out of debt and kids college paid for and my retirement is funded. And I get to travel the country in an RV with my family. Like we always talked about, you got to add some feelings to it in order to help you get over those bad days, weeks and months we all have as entrepreneurs. Right. And then you've got to reverse engineer a path to that. Right. So, you know what you want to sell it for, but you need to know how much your business is worth and how this stuff really operates. So get a valuation done. And the person doing the valuation will tell, talk to you about the weak, weaknesses and strengths of your business, what levers you need to push or pull to accelerate your path to that $5 million. So maybe right. it's not going to be in 2025. Maybe it's going to be in, in 2024 and you're accelerating your path to it. There's also, you know, because you, you could say, go, I want to sell for 5 million. Okay. Well, it's worth a million today because I'm doing $300,000 in discretionary earnings and it's worth a 3.3 multiple. Well, when you're doing a million dollars in discretionary earnings, it's going to be worth a five or six times multiple. So you got to understand that aspect of it too. As the business gets larger and is more defensible, the multiple goes up as well. Right. So there's, a, there's a lot of nuances to it. Right. And so we'll just, we'll throw a little plug in right now on valuations. If, if you're listening and you're thinking about selling, even it's just in the back of your mind that someday I might do this, go to exitpreneur.io slash wealthy retailer. There is a link there to get, yes, a, did, a digital copy of the Exit, Exitpreneur's playbook, but also a link for evaluation. As Joe said, it's free. Um, if you're just starting to think about, as you heard Joe talk about, you know, you're, you're saying if you want to sell it in 2025, you want to sell three years from now, this is the time to start thinking about that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, there's a couple of things in, in the digital version. You can download it, watch, you know, read it on your Kindle, Nook, iBook, whatever works for you. The valuation link, it's in there, starts on, I think it's like page 16. But there are some, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories of clients that have had over the years. In most cases, I changed their names and a couple I didn't because we've done podcasts together and talked right. about their exits and some of the incredible things that they did that were right and some things that they could have done better. Uh, because they didn't really plan to sell their business or train, get trained to sell their business, um, like I said. But yeah, it's it's all in there. Uh, you know, there's going to be some chapters that are just the light bulb goes off and it's eye opening. And some of it, you got to just fight through it and, and learn right. it, guys. But it's it's really training for your exit because your business is your most valuable asset, most likely. And you ought to know how how much it's worth and how much you're going to sell it for and how, what levers to push and pull, what's going to bring value or plummet value. And that's all sprinkled throughout the entire book. Right. And something that me working with a partner like yourself, we would work through that together in, in building a presentation to sell the business. Absolutely. Here's some things, Dan, you've got to work on to get the biggest bang for your buck here or. Absolutely. And, you know, some people, I've had situations where people, you know, come together and we sign an engagement letter, you know, cause they're ready to sell. Yeah. And then we put that package together and, you know, I'm, we, we have a pretty in-depth client interview, right? So I'm going to ask 
every question a buyer uh, is potentially going to ask, and I'm going to have you, the seller, put it right, uh, answer it in writing. And as you go through that process, you start to learn what you could have and should have done to make the business more valuable. And you're like, okay, hold on, hold up. I'm, I'm going to hold off another 12 months. I'm going to hold off another 24. Months. I've got this client that's like, we, we tear up the engagement letter, by the way. Right. But you know, we, we stay in touch. It, it was five years ago where the business might've been worth 1.5 million at that, back then. But now it's, she's looking at like 18 or $20 million you know, in terms of an exit now. And so you learn an awful lot in the process along the way as well. It's kind of fun. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest eye opener for someone as they start to go through this process? What is the biggest aha moment that you've seen? It's the ad backs. It's, it's what actually uh, people say multiple, you know, what, what, are, what multiples are businesses selling for now, but they don't understand what constitutes a multiple. You know, you've got, I, I, it's called seller's discretionary earnings. It's not yeah. net income, right? It's net income right. plus ad backs. The, the most aha moments are in the ad backs, right? So I get an entire chapter dedicated to that. I think I list a total of 18 ad backs, yeah. three, three different levels, but something like cash back money. That's an ad back. If you don't already have it on your books, which you probably don't, nine out of 10 people don't, you just slide it over to your personal account. You go, oh, cool. cool. And you, you, you go on a trip and use that cash back money. Right. Or you just use get rewards, right? A client, I've got a client that's got a million uh, points in rewards. That's worth $100,000 in Amex points, right? right? 1%. 100, no, is it one? Yeah, 1%. Yeah, no, $10,000. $10,000. Yeah. yeah, but, it, but, but it's, it's that type of situation where you can convert on paper. You don't have to do it inside of the Amex. You convert it on paper in the ad back schedule and it becomes part of the, the seller's discretionary earnings. Perfect example, I was at a um, uh, e-commerce fuel uh, summit last October for eight-figure sellers. And I'm sitting around the fire pit with this guy named Kevin. He's in his early 30s, much cooler and hipper than I am. And he's talking about uh, you know, his business. He got an offer for like $50 million for his business and just asking some questions. I'm like, well, wh what, 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 what kind of multiple did you get? And he talks about the multiple. I'm like, what kind of ad backs did you do? And then he went blank. He's like, well, well what's an ad back? I'm like, well, cash back, for example, right? Simple one. Um, and he got all excited, Dan. He and his wife get about $50,000 a month in cash back from the business. And they go on trips, they furnish their home, they buy uh, uh, Airbnbs and they furnish those. They do all sorts yeah. of stuff for that cash back money, but it's all over on their personal side. And I was like, Kevin, well, that's an ad back. He goes, well, that's $50,000. I'm like, I know it's $600,000 a year. His offer, the multiple was 10 times. So this added $6 million, $6 million. to the list price. Yeah. And that's just one of 18 things, but that is really the biggest aha moment for people. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, at what point do you, do you recommend that someone engages a professional like yourself. I got earlier, I alluded to, if you're thinking about selling in 2025, now's a good time to start, but yeah. really at what point do you wanna engage someone in this process? It depends upon who you are. If right. you're a first time entrepreneur and you're six months in, you're still just trying to keep the wheels on the bus. Just focus on that, right? right? And then when you come up for air, you're like, okay, I am actually making a living here. At that point, I think you should set an exit goal 
dollars, date, and feelings, and then reverse engineer path to it with a proper valuation. Mm-hmm. If if you're if you're a, you know a few years in, now is the time. Now, right? Because yeah. even if you're not going to sell in ten years or or for ten years, you, you need to understand what the value of the business is now and how how other people look at it from the outside. Right. Right. I think that's critically important. If you ideally though, ideally. My favorite is when somebody, you know, engages in 12 to 24 months. And we've got to be careful about that word engage because there's no contract. Right. Valuations for free. And when you're ready to sell, call back, get in touch, or hopefully you're in touch anyway. And you say, okay, I'm ready. And I'm then ready the engagement trigger. letter goes out. Right. Right. So 12 to 24 months in, in my mind is, is, is the best time. And I wish uh, everybody would follow that advice, Dan, but they don't. Right. And I, you know, I didn't either. Right. I'm guilty. Right. Does a, does a business, so. So the seller's discretionary earnings aside, mm-hmm. can a can a business that is running in negative net income before tax and adjustments or earnings, you know, tax and adjustments, is is can that be sold? Yes, anything could be sold for the right price. That would be a you know it, it depend it depends right. So the, I got to talk to you earlier today. He's built this amazing business. He raised you know ten million dollars. They're not profitable yet. But he's got a strategic buyer that approached him, you know, to, to, to buy the business. Right. So it's sellable because of the opportunity, because of the potential. Right. But don't, don't buy into that that's going to happen to you because the odds are incredibly slim, like 1%. Buyers don't buy businesses for the potential. They buy businesses in this niche, 20, less than 25 million for what's happening now. What's going on And now? What's, what's happened in the past yeah. 12 to 24 months. Yeah. Okay. What's your best advice for somebody thinking about selling today? No, I already gave it. Let's get evaluation. Yeah, get but second, evaluation. Second sure. is, you know, don't unless unless you are a highly seasoned bookkeeper, which you're not probably, don't do the books yourself. Right. Outsource it to an e-commerce bookkeeper. They're cheap. They're cheap. A few hundred bucks a month and they're going to get it right. And without a doubt, absolutely use accrual accounting. Now, this cash accounting bullshit. You got to do accrual accounting. Okay? You're not a fan of cash accounting. Well, neither is the buyer. Right. Okay. So, so number one, buyers are going to insist that you do cash accrual accounting. Right. Number two. So if you're doing cash accounting and you typically have $200,000 worth of inventory on hand at any time, and I know right. that's going to go way up in the fall, right? But let's say that it's 200. And you're going to sell your business now. You run a profit and loss statement. You get your net income. You add back your salary, add back your cash back, add back this, that, and the other thing. And you've got $300,000 in seller's discretionary income. That doesn't count the inventory. You've you've already paid cash for that. Because you paid cash, it's reducing your net income by $200,000. Right. So you're lo- and if the business is selling for four times, you're losing eight hundred thousand dollars. Right. So accrual accounting would capture it properly, and in either case, you're going to sell the business, you know, for the list price of the business. In one, it's going to be eight hundred thousand dollars. In the other, and in either case, you're going to sell it plus the landed cost of goods, sellable inventory on hand at the time of closing. You're right. still going to sell the inventory separately. And that, but in either first scenario, you're undervaluing the business with cash accounting. Or the opposite. If your business is declining, odds are uh, a cash uh, accounting basis is going to overprice the business. Right. And if a novice buyer goes under LOI with you, they're going to hire a professional in due diligence. They're going to hire 
rapid due diligence or Centurica or somebody that are professional due diligence experts, and they're going to catch that in due diligence, and the whole deal is going to fall apart or get dramatically renegotiated. And you are going to go, oh, God, all right, fine, whatever. Let's just get the deal done. Because you're emotionally tired, worn out, and you're two weeks away from $4 million. Right. But now it's but now it's $3 million, and you don't want to go through the whole process all over again. Don't do that. Don't put yourself in an emotional state to accept that because this is your business. It's your greatest asset. Just hire an e-commerce bookkeeper now. Get that off your plate. Spend an hour a month answering their questions and you're in great shape. Yeah. Wow. Good advice. Good advice. It's too bad I'm a cash accountant guy. Um, in, a, in my inventory planning world, it's all about cash flow and cash accounting makes good sense. Totally understand the accrual accounting and, and looking at inventory as an asset. In, in not, cash accounting, we think about it like a liability. So I so appreciate I, that. I'm not preaching to the crowd. You, you're going <laughs> to have a problem. Yeah. If and when you go to sell your business, and someday you will exit your business, whether you know it or not. Yeah. You are going to die. <laughs> Hopefully you don't get divorced. Something's going to happen right. where you're going to want to move on. And, and then you're going to have to unwind the last couple of years and flip it to accrual. Right. I've done it manually many times. It's never perfectly accurate, right? Because yeah. I'm ballparking, okay, your inventory costs about 3%, 5%, 10%, and we flip it to accrual. Right. Uh, you're going to lose some money because we always want to be more conservative. Mm -hmm. So, And so when we think about inventory, what deems inventory sellable? Or, or sorry, what, what, where do we capture its value when we're selling the business? Is it based on age of inventory? Well, you're going to capture all of the good sellable inventory on hand. It's time of closing. Whatever you've right. got on hand or on order and paid for, you're going to get paid for that. Right. As long as it's the keywords are good sellable inventory. If it's not sellable, I'm not going to buy it. Right. You can donate to charity or write it off, whatever. I'm not going to buy it from you. Or if you've got some inventory that just takes longer to sell, instead of the typical three to four to six months turnover, it takes 24 months because you made a mistake. And you bought so much, it's just going to take longer. Yeah. As a buyer, first thing you want to do, you know, I might want, I might say, give me ninety cents on the dollar for that. Right. But you know, it's still going to sell. So I would say, as a seller, I would say, no, but I'll give you a twenty-four month seller note. Right. Something okay. like that. That way, you capture one hundred percent of it. And that's the other thing when it comes to inventory, Dan. You got to have an inventory aging report. Right. Where it's very helpful, let's say. Right. right. If you're a cash, if you're an inventory guy, it's all about cash flow. How right. can you pay for that next shipment? Can you really afford to pay for next spring's inventory now? Kind of thing. Right. It's it's all about cash flow, and yeah. and the inventory aging reports are obviously are very very helpful. And and not yeah. only that, it instills confidence in your buyer, and that's the sort of intangible, invisible thing. It's trust, right? The more confidence you can instill in your buyers that you're a great entrepreneur that's built a great business for a great buyer to take over the greater the price that you're going to get, the greater the deal structure that you're going to get. All of that instill trust and confidence in them and you'll, you'll, you'll wind up with a better deal. Yeah. Nice. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Listeners, uh, head over to exitpreneur.io slash wealthy retailer. Get a copy of the digital book. Learn more about Joe um, and Quiet Bridge. Joe, where do we find you? Uh, quietlight.com. 
or you can find me you can find me anywhere but quietlight.com is the best place to learn about quietlight or exitpreneur.io if you're gonna I was just going to say and if you're looking for Joe you could you could certainly go head over to exitpreneur.io listeners thank you so much for joining us again this week hope you have a great week retailing Joe thank you so much thank you Dan